0: Welcome to The View From The Front. My name is Stan and this is the August 17th edition. Today is going to be a great show but it's going to be a little bit different than normal. I ended up having to work many hours of overtime this week with my day job so did not get the scheduling that I wanted so it's not going to follow the typical format that we prefer with the show but what we're going to do today is the following. We're going to begin with an update on the Ukrainian counteroffensive across the entire front, kind of going into some detail on that, and then we're going to share some excellent analysis and reporting from one of the best reporters in Ukraine, a gentleman by the name of Christopher Miller. He's been covering Ukraine for 13-plus years, uh, mostly for the uh, Financial Times. He's also recently written a book. He's also lived in Ukraine for 10-plus years, so... So we're going to share a few segments of a recent interview that he did. And these segments are going to share just a few things that I thought were really unique. First of all, dive into a bit of President Zelensky's background. Uh, Then Miller, I'm going to share a section where he goes into some of the background on Ukraine's military, how it's kind of a hodgepodge mix of equipment and units. And then I'm going to share a section where he discusses the way that the Ukrainian government has dealt with trying to get additional financial assistance and requests. And then there will be a bit about Miller sharing how the danger of a frozen conflict that kind of becomes a stalemate. And then an update on how he sees the counteroffensive going and the challenges. So really good stuff from him. And then just out of... Pure coincidence, I had recorded the motivation and wisdom section on Monday before work got crazy with all the overtime. And it ended up being a longer and better section than normal, so there will be a longer and better section of motivation and wisdom. But the one thing missing from today's show is I did not get a chance to record a section about our U.S. military and some of the units happening around the world. Now, there is no major news or deployments going on other than the USS Bataan continues to move toward the Persian Gulf toward the coast of Iran. We covered that in detail last week and the previous week, so no update there other than they are getting closer to that, but I hate not having that section in, but you know we do the best we can do, and so I don't have that section this week, but still a great show, so stick around. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing some of this stuff, especially the parts from Miller, and especially the part at the end of the show with the motivation and wisdom. It's a really good section this week. If you are new to the show, let me say as background that I'm a proud moderate and that I covered the news for more than 10 years as a journalist. Before that, I served four years in the Marine Corps on active duty and two years in the reserve, all of that time in the infantry. And yes, that does matter because if you served in the infantry or if you served in a combat arms MOS, then you know this. We know that we've been more cold, more wet, more hungry, and more wronged than just about any other MOS out there. But I'm getting off topic here. In this show, The View from the Front, I primarily do three things every week. First, I work to highlight what our military troops are doing around the world, while also covering hot spots and foreign policy news that could affect our country. Secondly, I attempt to unite us and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America. Our division is our country's greatest threat, and I firmly believe two things. Most Americans are good, and more unites us than divides us. Finally, I always share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode because I want to help encourage you and lift you up. Life is certainly hard, and each one of us needs all the motivation and encouragement and wisdom that we can possibly get. Thanks again for joining us. I really hope you get something from the show. We'll begin this episode by discussing an update on the counteroffensive. Uh, if you missed the update by email on Monday, I shared an update with all the listeners that have signed up for the email Substack list that the New York Times and other media outlets were beginning to report that Ukraine's counteroffensive has achieved quote tactically significant progress end quote in its counteroffensive, and I shared some images of the places that they were breaking through. Pretty big news because we haven't seen that for several weeks. Obviously, really more like two months or more now. But it has begun to become tactically significant, as the New York Times said. So, two quick things on that front. First, if you haven't signed up for the Substack list, make sure you do because I will be sending additional updates by email. Those are faster to send out than to try to record a podcast Make sure you sign up for that, stanormitchell.substack.com, stanormitchell.substack.com. Probably be sending another one out possibly tomorrow being Friday, maybe Saturday or the weekend. We'll see, just depending on how fast the breakthroughs happen. But let's actually go into some detail on what's happened since Monday. Again, if you didn't see the images and some of the video I shared of retreating Russian troops, some of the video of the tactical successes. I'm putting the link in the substack notes. So go there, click that. I think you'll want to see it if you did miss that. Now for the quick update regarding the counteroffensive. These images that I have in my substack notes are from August 16th. That is Wednesday or yesterday, depending on if you're listening to this on Thursday. So they're a little bit behind. Could have been additional gains since then. But this is the latest information that's publicly available. So let's begin with, and again, I've got nine different images in the substack notes if you want to go see the maps. But let's begin with the southern offensive in the Zaporizhia area. That's really where Ukraine wants to break through and cut that land bridge that we have talked about so many times. If you look on the maps, they are making some pretty serious progress in two different areas in the Zaporizhia front one of them is about 10 to 15 kilometers deep and then about 60 to 80 kilometers further east of it they've pushed even further almost 20 kilometers i'm not going to name the small towns because you're probably not familiar with them but just go take a look at the map in the substack notes you'll see exactly what i've what i'm talking about and there's even some zoomed in images of just how far they've pushed there moving from there Last week, as a reminder, I talked about that near Kherson, which is further southwest, there had been some push across the Dnipro River, and some Ukrainian forces were there. Now, Russia appears to, according to the Institute for the Study of War, push those troops back. So, a lot of people were surprised by that anyway, because Ukraine has been doing deep raids across the river, and having some success. So it seemed odd that they were trying to hold ground, but they did appear to hold ground for a few days. It seems like, according to the latest information, they've been pushed back. That's a little disputed. Russia's saying they are definitely pushed back. Ukraine has never really said it was a bridgehead anyway. No one is really sure exactly what happened there, but at least a company of Ukrainian Marines held ground for several days for some reason, no one's really sure why, but at least held ground for several days under heavy artillery bombardment from Russians as well as a Russian counterattack. But it seems like they've moved back to the Ukrainian side of the river for now. So I think Russia has pushed them back, but it's still kind of gray. It's you know, Ukraine isn't exactly publicizing what they are or not or not doing moving back toward the zaporizhia area and then further up toward the north and further part of the eastern part and near Bakhmut, there are several three different places actually where ukrainian troops are pressing in and gaining ground so they're additionally making gains there as well and then if you go well north of Bakhmut, i'm like well over 150 plus kilometers way further north Ukraine has also pushed through and broken through some lines way up there as well. So, you know, a week back, we, I talked to or I covered an analyst saying that it's almost like attrition warfare because Ukraine is successfully pushing in so many places. Instead of just picking a few points, preferably one or two, and just pushing hard, Ukraine just continues to just press several not even several, I guess six or seven different parts of the Russian line. So Russia really can't move troops around too much because they're getting pushed back in several areas, losing heavy amounts of troops in all of these areas. So clearly this tactic by Ukraine seems to be working. They're pushing forward with small units. The Russians counter-attack with artillery fire, which is then taken out by counter-battery fire, which Ukraine has some more superior counter-battery radar thanks to the West. So they continue to knock out Russian artillery, as I talked about last week. They continue to push forward against these Russian troops, and the Russian troops continue to push back. And this is just basically happening in anywhere from six to nine different places along the very long 600-mile front line. As I said earlier, if you haven't signed up for the email list, make sure you do. I will probably be sending out an update if one is warranted in the next day or two as things Progress. Let's move now to what I discussed in the preview about the couple of sections or so that I wanted to share from Christopher Miller. And let me give just a little bit of background about him. Interestingly, even though he's an award winning journalist and even though he's covered the war for many, many years now, he actually did not begin as a journalist. He literally went to Ukraine as a Peace Corps as a member of the Peace Corps for the United States. And what's even crazier is, it's almost like he's just one of those people that ended up in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time, depending on your view, I guess. But he initially wanted to do some work with the Peace Corps in Africa. That's where he wanted to be stationed, see the world a little bit, do some Peace Corps work in Africa. They had no openings. And they're like, hey, we got this place in Ukraine where you could go. He knew very little about Ukraine. And he literally ends up getting assigned to Bakhmut, although back then it was named something differently. And back then it was peaceful. It was a town of 70,000. It wasn't famous. It was a part of the country he didn't even want to go to. He didn't know Ukraine very well, but he knew that there were mountains and the, the you know far west part near Kiev was kind of a better place to be. Or maybe down near Kherson, you could be on the beach. But no, they wanted to put him in the eastern part of the country where there was mostly just coal and industry, and there wasn't much going on. And so he goes to this place, not even really wanting to go there. Goes there, is there for several years, starts to fall in love with Ukraine, starts to fall in love with the Ukrainian people. So he's an American who's in Ukraine. And then as things progress, of course, he gets swept up in the war after having fallen in love As an American with Ukraine and having known its people, so this guy who's just, just a regular old American is kind of in the right place at the right time, or again, I guess wrong place at the wrong time. So that's kind of the background on his insights. Let me cover real quickly what all he's done as far as his journalism background, because obviously, as the war begins. Western media wants to know what's going on with the Russian invasions, and this is before the big invasion a year ago, and he starts writing for more and more Western media because he's an American who speaks obviously fluent English and is able to report from an area that wasn't easy to get to and that Western resources, as far as media goes, didn't have much interest in prior to this major invasion. Since... 2019, He's been the lead correspondent in Ukraine for BuzzFeed News, obviously covering the conflict. Before that, five years as a correspondent for Radio Free Europe slash Radio Liberty. He did that out of Kyiv. He's also written and been published in Politico Europe, The Times, The Guardian, The Atlantic, CNN, Vice News, The Telegraph, The Independent, and then The Outline and Global Post. So, been in a lot of different publications for his insights. And he is one of the biggest analysts in in the world as far as Ukraine goes. He's just an authority on it. And he recently published a book, as I said earlier. The book is called The War Came to Us, Life and Death in Ukraine. Now, let me get to the part that I've been dying to get us to. But I had to set that up, so I appreciate your patience on that. The part I'm about to share comes from one of many interviews he's done recently. This was with the uh, Charlie Sox and the Bulwark, which is a podcast. It's also, it has other newsletters and, and articles online, but the interview I'm going to be sharing a few parts from comes from a talk he had with Charlie Sox of the Bulwark. And so this first section involves a little bit about President Zelensky and his background, which is just... I think a lot of us have kind of heard the high level 10,000 feet part of, but he goes a little bit into the background that is really just interesting. So here's the first section I wanted to share. Miller begins by going a bit into Zelensky's past, which is pretty well known in the West, I believe. But for those who don't know, he was a comedian who then became an actor who played in that role as an actor of a very popular series, he becomes president as as an actor. And so he acts out being president and then later runs for election. And because he was widely known across the country being a part of this popular TV series as president, he ends up winning. I'll let Miller continue from there what happens after he is initially elected. And this is well before the big invasion a year ago. This is when... Russia had done its smaller invasions in the east and had taken the Crimean Peninsula, and Zelensky goes in as a newly elected president of a country that was grappling with a long-running war that had been going for five years with Russia, but at the same time, not a massive war, kind of a stalemate, if you will. Zelensky gets elected, and I'll let Miller take over how that goes before this big invasion, and how, in fact, Zelensky's popularity was starting to go down. He wasn't even that popular, and it looked like his political career was heading toward its end in a country that, as Miller says, often changes after one term, no matter who the president is. Here's Miller, and he begins by saying that it was hard to take Zelensky serious at first because, hey, this guy was literally an actor and before that a comedian, so how do you take someone like that serious?
1: it seriously at first because you know he, he he had no political experience this was a country where you really had an old guard political class that still was very influential and it was a country at war and so there was this big question hanging over him you know whether he could be a good commander-in-chief and at the time president uh, petro poroshenko had had managed the country for several years in wartime he had strong relationships with western leaders but ukrainians who really, really like change, and have only once ever in their independent history since the collapse of the Soviet Union re-elected a president, saw Zelensky as an opportunity to move in a different direction. He was, uh, you know, certainly campaigning on populist messages, and, and people were, were fed up with the sort of militaristic nationalism that had emerged in the latter part of the Poroshenko administration, and Zelensky actually campaigned uh, on the issue of, of finding a solution To the war, to Russia's war against the country. And so they felt as though, you know what, this is an opportunity perhaps to maybe find uh, an end to this uh, war that at that had been you know, going on for uh, more than five years um, after he was elected. Mm-hmm. And so he became this president. He was widely popular. He, he earned uh, more than 70% of the vote in the presidential election. But in Ukraine, as, as often is the case, you know his star faded over time when he couldn't produce many of the results that he had promised on the campaign trail, the biggest of which was finding an end to this war. So then we get to February 2022, and of course, You know, he makes what I think and many Ukrainians believe is the most important decision of his political career, and and that was to stay in Kiev. And he filmed this video where he says, I'm here. I'm with my staff. We're not fleeing. The Russians can try what they want. We're going to defend our country. Extraordinary moment. It was.
0: Next, I wanted to jump to just an overview that Miller gives about the Ukrainian military about its outreach for additional support, as well as military weapons from the West, the kind of way they are being treated in that regard, and how it's been working out. And this is just a really insightful answer. So it begins with Charlie Sykes talking, and then you're going to hear Miller answer.
2: So let's talk a little bit about the war because you describe it as a complex war in a complex place The Ukrainian military is is fascinating because as you describe it, it's a kind of a patchwork force, and you know, it's been so creative and so impressive with what it's been able to do I mean, they're using Czech equipment, Iraqi equipment American equipment, British equipment They've got instruction manuals in half a dozen languages They're going through a thousand drones a day They had a famous stockpile of weapons at the beginning of the war but they're obviously very, very heavily reliant So what has to happen now i mean you you write that the war is going to drag on you know unless the west and you know the u.s government in particular are willing to provide a lot more and a lot more quickly so where do you think we are right now because there's that push pull we have done so much the ukrainians are constantly saying you need to do more it has to be faster so give me your thoughts about the kind of the what i see is the kind of the tentative slow walk of the biden administration that wants to give them sort of enough, but maybe not enough to win the war, where are we at now? I'll paraphrase
1: uh, the Ukrainian foreign minister, who's a long-time acquaintance of mine. When, When I met him recently, what he told me when we were speaking about Western assistance and what they need and the pace of it over the past year and a half is, you know, we're tired of asking and being told no and then asking a second time months later and being told maybe. And then knowing that when we ask a third time, months later, long after we needed this piece of equipment, finally, yes. Mm -hmm. If they would have just said yes from the start and put the process in place of delivering it, we could have done so much more early on and we might not be in this position we are now, which is, I think, a brutal grinding war of attrition and this really crucial moment where if more assistance isn't provided, we risk seeing Ukraine and Russia's war against it slip into a frozen conflict. Yeah. And that would allow Russia to really, uh, even more than they have in, in recent months, solidify their front line and their defenses. Take even a stronger hold on these occupied territories in the east and the south of the country, and also, you know, we'll will be coming up against a presidential campaign in the United yeah. States, where Ukraine, Ukraine, of course, yeah, where where Ukraine uh, risks becoming a, a political issue, and the Ukrainians do not want to see that happen because, you know, traditionally Ukraine has seen bipartisan support in the United States, and. Uh, you know, with the candidates who are who are running, particularly President Donald Trump, mm-hmm. you know the Ukrainians are very skeptical of of him and worried about the amount of support. Justifiably so, right? Right, because you know they don't want a replay of 2019 when then President Trump, you know, dangled uh, military aid over the head of Zelensky, um, asking him to do him political favors, and so there there is this concern that you know if the Ukrainians do not get a lot more, a lot sooner. This could slip in, again, into a frozen conflict. And they just don't have the capacity right now to produce enough shells and weaponry on their own. They're heavily reliant on the West. And Russia, meanwhile, has has ramped up its production. It's definitely got a deeper bench. There is three times, if not four times, the amount of people in Russia. If Vladimir Putin wanted to call up a mobilization or send more troops in, he would likely be able to do that. And, you know, he has shown no indication of stopping until he achieves his goals of seeing Ukraine broken apart. And and that's what we're worried about now. Yeah.
0: The final thing I wanted to share was Miller's take on the counteroffensive. This is a gentleman who's followed this as closely as anyone. And he also, like many analysts, is not super optimistic about the Ukrainian chances, although he does leave that option out there. So again, I've been optimistic from the beginning. I'm still optimistic. I mentioned that in the beginning of this episode as well, but there is the reality that I absolutely could be wrong on this, and I want you to hear his words as someone who's lived there and watched this as close as anyone.
2: The status of the long awaited counteroffensive. We don't hear a lot about it. It appears to be going slower. There are occasional uh, reports of of breakthroughs. You're watching this much more closely. Has the counteroffensive been a disappointment or were our expectations excessive? The expectations were excessive. You know, the Ukrainians were expected
1: to carry out, you know, almost the impossible against the second largest and most powerful military in the world, supposedly, right? They were told that they would need to conduct a a very complex combined military forces operation with artillery and infantry and armored vehicles and without air support. You know, the Ukrainian air force is not nearly as big as Russia's. They do not have air superiority in their country. And the West has, and the United States in particular, wanted Ukraine to conduct an operation in this manner, thinking that it could provide its best opportunity to wrest back occupied territory. Um, but it's an operation that the United States uh, itself would never conduct without mm. air superiority. And exactly. the counteroffensive did get off to a rough start. Yeah. The Ukrainians lost a lot of uh, Western-provided military vehicles. They've lost you know, hundreds, if not thousands of soldiers in the past two and a half months since the start of this counteroffensive. They've committed a lot of their Western-trained and very experienced soldiers, they're having to use reserves at the moment, and they're still not having a lot of success on the battlefield. That's largely also due to the fact that Russia had months to prepare its own defenses for this counteroffensive. You know, this was a, a counteroffensive that everybody knew was coming, coming. Right. It was. It was really well telegraphed. The Ukrainians had no choice but to launch a counteroffensive at some point. So the Russians spent months digging trenches, mining fields. The country is now the most mined place in the world because the Russians are spreading so many mines. Mm. I was down on the front lines just a couple of weeks ago, and soldiers were telling me that they would come across minefields that were so dense that within, uh, like one or two square meters they would find uh, as many as five mines at a time i think that the counter-offensive you know it it has not gone the way the ukrainians have wanted of course i don't think that they have much of a choice other than to continue pounding away at russian front lines and and trying to achieve a breakthrough right now it does look as though you know they are going to continue to struggle to do that Um, they're expending a huge amount of weaponry and ammunition at the moment but they still have forces that they haven't yet committed so i wouldn't count the ukrainians out around many turns we've seen the ukrainians outperform our expectations and they do have this really uncanny ability to overperform and to surprise us and so i, I think that you know we should continue supporting them and, and certainly not count this counter-offensive out yet you put your finger on
2: it though that uh... Offensives like this usually rely on air support, and we would never try an, a, an attack like this without air superiority and air support, and, and that has been lacking. And of course, the Ukrainians have been saying this for months give us the air support, and apparently that's going to happen, but it's been delayed and it's been slow.
0: Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that insight from Christopher Miller as much as I did. I wanted to definitely share that with you guys. Now, we're going to Move to the motivation and wisdom section right after this break. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to and would like to help support the show, you can do so by signing up as a monthly paying subscriber for $5 per month. You can help us sustain, grow, and improve the show. There are so many things I'd like to do to improve the podcast and my outreach, but these things take time and resources. As you can probably tell, I truly do believe in trying to highlight what our military troops are doing around the world, unite our country, and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America, and share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode. Again, you can help support the show for only $5 per month. Come and go as you wish. You can find all the details on my Substack page that's stanormitchell.substack.com again stanrmitchell.substack.com or just find it in the episode notes. Thanks so much, guys. We're going to begin the motivation and wisdom section with a little pep talk because someone out there needs to hear this. I know someone out there needs to hear this. Listen, life is passing you by. You only get one shot at life and you're letting it slip through your fingers day by day. Life has beaten you down, kicked you in the face, ignored you, punished you, rained on you, assailed you with illnesses and injuries, burdened you with debts and levels of despair that I know are breaking your spirit. But you have to get up. Do you hear me? You have to get up and you're going to start fighting back. Do not let despair win. Get up and take a step forward to confront these things facing you right now. Do it now and let the following items that I'm going to share lift your spirit and take you to a higher level. You can do this. You're meant to do this and you have to do this for yourself, for your family, for your Creator. And with all of that being said, I truly hope these help pick up your spirits, that they help revive your hopes, and that they help make you a better person. I hope that pep talk helped motivate you and wake you up. I once read, if you don't think you're powerful, think of your most important relationship of that person who's depending on you. Maybe it's a son or daughter. Maybe it's a parent you're caring for. Maybe it's your spouse. If you don't think you're important, if you think you don't matter, imagine if you suddenly went away. Who would care for that person? Who would check on them, love them, care for them, help them? We are all way more powerful and important than we think. And the work we do, even that work we forget about and sometimes complain about, it's important. You can have an impact. You are having an impact. And now that you're paying attention, let's share a few more items to help feed you and make you stronger. Here is the first one. Turn up everything. Turn up your magic, your voice, your strength, your humor, your kindness, your gratitude, your love. Turn up everything. That's a good one to start with. Next one. Unlike stress, enthusiasm has a high energy frequency and so resonates with the creative power of the universe. This is why Ralph Waldo Emerson said that nothing great has ever been achieved without enthusiasm so again this is a uh, quote from Eckhart Tolle you may have heard of him he's big into mindfulness but unlike stress enthusiasm has a high energy frequency and thus resonates with the creative power of the universe this is why Ralph Waldo Emerson said that nothing great has ever been achieved without enthusiasm all right next one big things have small beginnings Again, that one is big things have small beginnings. And guys, like so many of these hit me before they hit you. This is something I need to remind myself. I feel like I put a lot of effort into some of the things I'm chasing. And I'm not getting the results I want. I bet you're in the same boat. But you got to remember, big things have small beginnings. Next one. Always believe that something wonderful is about to happen. Again, always believe that something wonderful is about to happen. Next one. The day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. Be patient. Be humble. Keep moving forward and know that all this hard work will soon pay off. Next one. Nobody really cares if you're miserable, so you might as well be happy. That's a good one, isn't it? No one really cares if you're miserable, so you might as well be happy. Next one. One of the things I learned the hard way was that it doesn't pay to get discouraged. That's a quote from uh, Lucille Ball, who's obviously a famous actor that may be before some of the listeners' time. I probably dated myself, but again, the quote is, One of the things I learned the hard way was that it doesn't pay to get discouraged. All right, next one. I saw, and this is kind of a wisdom one, I saw that you were perfect, and so I loved you. Then I saw that you were not perfect, and I loved you even more. If you've got a a spouse or a significant other, I think that one probably hits home. Again, it's I saw that you were perfect, and so I loved you. Then I saw that you were not perfect, and I loved you even more. Next one. Some of life's best lessons are learned at the worst times. Depending on what season you're in in your life, that one probably hits home. But again, some of life's best lessons are learned at the worst times. So if you're in that valley or that dark part of your life right now, It uh, just keep pushing. You'll get through it and um, you will probably learn some lessons that are painful but are also very long-term beneficial. Next one. Patience deepens practice. Practice deepens patience. Again, patience deepens practice. Practice deepens patience. That's one of those you got to kind of really think about But uh, if you think about it a second, it's pretty good. If you're patient, your practice is going to get deeper and better. And if you practice, your patience and understanding that you're not at that goal yet is going to be strengthened and become more resilient. Again, patience deepens practice. Practice deepens patience. Next one. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. Again, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. Next one. Train your mind to be stronger than your feelings. I feel like we do one on somewhat similar to that almost every week, but it's just so important. Don't listen to your feelings. Your feelings are wrong. They're always wrong. You you wake up, you don't feel good, but you get some coffee, you get a shower, you feel better. Your feelings were lying to you. Nothing changed in your situation. It was just your feelings. So train your mind... To be stronger than your feelings. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. That's the next one. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Next one. An unproductive minute can turn into an unproductive hour. An unproductive hour can turn into an unproductive day. So always be aware of your actions and do what you actually have to do. That should hit everyone. If you are not sometimes spending too much time on TikTok or one of the other endless uh, apps on your phone or Netflix or whatever the latest thing you're watching, you got to be careful with that stuff because it can grow and become a bigger addiction. So again, an unproductive minute can turn into an unproductive hour. An unproductive hour can turn into an unproductive day. So always be aware of your actions and do what you actually have to do. Next one. If you don't love it, you'll never be great at it. Do what you love. Be devoted to your craft. Show up and do the work one day at a time. Again, this one is, if you don't love it, you'll never be great at it. Do what you love. Be devoted to your craft. Show up and do the work one day at a time. Next one. Find out who you are and be that person. That's what your soul was put on this earth to be. Find that truth, live that truth, and everything else will come. That's a great one. I'll read it one more time. Find out who you are and be that person. That's what your soul was put on this earth to be. Find the truth. I'm sorry. Find that truth, live that truth, and everything else will come. Next one. Why put off until tomorrow what you can do today? What you can do today, why not do it now? Later is the enemy of success. Next one. Before you can succeed, you have to believe you can succeed. Again, before you can succeed, you have to believe you can succeed. Next one. Guard your big goals from small thinkers. Again, guard your big goals from small thinkers. Thinkers, and this is one that, depending on what you're trying to do in life, is so so true. Because all the little things I'm trying to do, like they they make no sense in the short term. The podcast doesn't have thousands of listeners yet. There are no sponsors. There's not much money in it. Same thing with the books. They're not where I want them to be. But again, you have to guard your big goals from small thinkers. Again, you know, it's, uh, I read a great quote many years ago that I still haven't forgotten. But the riches and and benefits of a journey are not at its beginning or in its middle they're at the end so you got to always keep your mind on the long-term goal not on that you're halfway there and the the route is terrible and nothing's going as planned and you're like well maybe I should just go back that's not the answer next one it's a slow process but quitting won't speed it up I've used that one, I think, a month or two ago, but I came across it, and every time I read it, it hits me, and so I just throw it back in to use it. It's a slow process, but quitting won't speed it up. Let's now do two from the Bible. The first one is, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. That is from the book of Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26. Again, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. All right, here's the second one. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That is from Zephaniah 3, verse 17. Again, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a good one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. So many men and women have sacrificed, fought, and died to keep this country together the past 240 years. Please work daily to unite our country again. The vast majority of Americans are decent, loving, great people. Also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. For those who are listening for the first time, let me say a bit more about myself and the podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior infantry Marine who dropped the sword and picked up the pen. After joining the Marine Corps at the age of 17 to serve four years in the infantry, I exited military service, earned a degree, and spent 10-plus years in the news business, initially as a reporter, but then going on to start a weekly newspaper in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for 9 years, from 2004 to 2013. But once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 12 books, and while it's true I'm still writing, I'm now here as well, a once a week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do think that much can be gained from discussing these issues and creating a community where we intelligently discuss the troubles confronting us and where we work to come closer together and respect each other's views with more patience and kindness. A house divided cannot stand, and I strongly believe that more unites us than divides us. I will not remain silent while politicians, seeking their own personal gain, try to throw gas on a dangerous fire, doing their best to tear apart this country so that they can advance to a higher office. We face great challenges as a country, but America has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. So let's get a little better informed and let's work to get a little more united as a people. Thank you for being patient and allowing me to share that monologue. I think it's important people hear what I'm about. And I think it's also important my regular listeners hear this message enough that it sinks in. That it affects what they believe. That it affects how they act. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as kindness, patience, patience and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point, and they're also the beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. Thanks again for your patience and for listening. I know it's not the sort of fast-paced, really hip, Twitter-friendly, TikTok-cool message that fits most podcasts that go viral, but maybe we've got a few too many podcasts that are like that. Maybe we need to go back to something deeper, to something firmer and more solid to something we can build a foundation from. And that's what I'm offering. Now, we're almost to the end of the show, and I'd be a fool not to mention my books. I write fast-paced books, and when I say fast-paced, I mean like really fast-paced books. And if you read the reviews, people say they are gripping, compelling, and full of twists and turns. I've written a dozen books to date, and I've been fortunate to have sold more than 70,000 copies. And guys, these are independently published. There isn't some big company pushing these. These are straight up word of mouth sales. So if you're one of those who've bought a a book or more than one book, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. If you're one of those folks who've just shared links or told others about me, it's a great way to support the show. All of my books can be found on Amazon and they are primarily about military thrillers. I've got a series about a Marine Corps sniper. I've got some police detective ones, but you can find all of them on Amazon just by searching my name, Stan R. Mitchell. Make sure you include the R. You will find them no problem. You will see they all have averages of more than four uh, four plus stars and thousands of reviews on them. So they're great gifts. They're also great for yourself if you're interested in them. So thanks so much guys for sticking it out with me. I hope you got something from the show, and I look forward to seeing you guys here, same time, same place, next Thursday.